0: Today's scripture is Ephesians 4, 7 through 14. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth, So that we may no longer be children, tossed to and fro by the waves, and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. This is the word of the Lord.
1: And take a seat. Thank you, Allison. <laughs> Well, good morning again, everybody. Um, my name's Sean, if I don't know you. Um, the lead pastor, teacher pastor here for Redemption Peoria. And uh, we're, if you're new, we, uh, we take the summer, some part of the portion of the summer and kind of divvy out different ways to hear from all the different elders. And we're in that little season right now. So if you've been coming the last month or, or so, you've heard from John quite a few times from Vince last week. Uh, next week was supposed to be Jim, but uh, because of some scheduling stuff, he's not able to. So he's going to be the... Be the a week after, so I'm this week and next week, and then uh, Jim will be with us in in a few weeks. So you're going to kind of hear all that, and then we'll be in a normal rhythm. But all that uh, to say is no matter who's up here, we're going through the same book and have been going through the same book since the beginning of the year, which is the book of Ephesians. And I'll catch us up in a second, but um, before we do, I I want you to know we're in this kind of little mini-series in the book of Ephesians. And I'll give the background of some of where where we were at before, but just so you're aware, when we started the book of Ephesians, the way that I, I tried to unpack it and explain it is um, you're like going to, to see a, a new house. Somebody's showing you a new house, and you're looking for a new house, right? You walk into the new house, you know the floor plan, and you go into the kitchen. You see the kitchen. Then you walk out of the kitchen, and then you go into the bedroom, the, the guest bedroom, and you, you see it. And Then you walk out of the guest bedroom. You go into the master bedroom. You go into the bathroom. You go into these different pockets. It's all these uh, different rooms that make up this one house, and that's what Ephesians is essentially doing. We've talked about so Theology, the study of salvation, and what is predestination, chosen before the foundation of the world. We've talked about being depraved and separated from God. We've, um, we've elaborated on racial reconciliation. And it's all these different rooms. And right now, one of the rooms that we're in, what Ephesians is doing, is it's walking us through the church. And that's what Vince kicked off in talking about the church. And I want to say before I pray, <clears throat> um, I don't want that to be Overlooked. I think as we go through Ephesians, this is written to a body of people, a group of people. And that's important specifically for where we're at in Ephesians. So I want to pray real quick and then uh, we're going to jump into a bunch of things that that we need to. I want to recap where we were in the first six verses of this chapter, where we were in Ephesians, and then we'll we'll get into our verses. But let's pray that God would be with us. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Just even as we echo together, um, thanks be to you that you gave us your word and that it is um, guiding us even now. We pray that we would rely on it. We pray that um, it would build faith up within us according to Romans 10. We pray that um, it would encourage us. It would rebuke us. It would cut us deep. There's so many sins that are left unsaid even in this room to not other people that are deep down in our hearts so many things that we need to be encouraged about deep down in our hearts, and we pray that the Word of God would do that. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. If we're going to talk about the church, here's where I want to start. There's no denying, and it would be almost silly to to spend too much time on this point, but it's without a doubt that we continue to live in a super narcissistic, individualistic, it's about me culture, and I'm not throwing anybody, no one's surprised by that, what, okay, that's just, we, we know that that's, well, it is what it is, right? And the unfortunate nature of what we find sometimes, if we're going to talk about the church, is something that we have to address is that culture, that ideology, that philosophy has slowly seeped into the church. And the church game has changed, y'all. It has. I mean, uh, I I know this from reading church history, but more so just talking to older believers. Even the rhetoric, the language we use about the church has changed. If, If you're an older believer in the room, my guess is you used to use language like, I belong to that church. That used to be the language of the people of God. I belong to that church. But now, I guarantee you the question would be what church do you go to? Well, I go to that church. And it may feel like just insignificant, like uh, just, well, that's just a language difference, but it's huge, right? Because I think a question that needs to be asked is, I man, listen, are you CCV? Are, are you redemption purity? Are you axiom? Are you life givers? Are you that church, or do you just go there on Sundays as an entity, it, it exists as a corporate entity, and you go there to experience it in some way, and you're, you're disconnected from what it is. And if we're going to read Ephesians 4 for all it's worth, there has to be a recognition that the philosophies of the world have seeped into the church and told you it's okay to be part of this thing that we're doing, church, as an entity, but it's not you. You're not Redemption Peoria, and that is just not biblical. It's just not biblical. Um, Let me share a a chipper quote from a guy named John MacArthur. Uh, Whether you like him or love him or hate him, um, uh, I thought this was a good way to start a Sunday morning. John MacArthur's a super chipper guy, if you know who he is. He's always, um, yeah. So listen, he says, I am afraid in the big scheme of things in the contemporary church movement, attending church has become a kind of spectator experience. You go to watch what happens, essentially. This, as you well know is the most narcissistic, self-absorbed, self-centered society that America has ever known and becoming increasingly more so if that is possible. He cracks me up. He's 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 crazy, man. People are basically disinterested in anything that doesn't uh, accrue to their own benefit. And churches have decided to accommodate that. And so churches have become locations where certain forms of religious entertainment are displayed. And this is why I wanted to read this quote, because I think he is dead on about this. Very little and sometimes nothing is asked of those people except occasionally to give some money so that they can continue the production. And this, of course, fits the kind of culture that we have. And then here's, here's the money statement. This seems to be a hopeless generation. <laughs> Good morning. Welcome to Redemption Peoria. <laughs> Here's why I share it. I know it's, it's what he says in, in loud volume. I don't want you to miss that. That, it, that is there, right? That the church has bought into something that we can just exist. Um, come, but not be, not own. This is not you. And more importantly, not give. Not to identify yourself as part of a body that, that has to sacrifice and give all that's there. And, this, and it's the language that, that I love to use is, churches have decided to accommodate so that churches have become locations where certain forms of religious entertainment are displayed. And so, so we're, we're, we're there, right? And, 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 it's, and it's, it's no coincidence, right, that you, we watch the NBA finals. One team who continues to work together— Uh, continues to have fun, shares the basketball, just destroys another team as they watch one man do all the work. They're just spectators in it. It's not healthy. You're not going to win there, right? And and listen, at the end of the day, what what we continue, and what I want to to segue into with our text is the idea that you can do Christianity alone is a man-made philosophy. No one thrives on an island except Tom Hanks and Castaway. But he's a great actor, and that makes sense. The the idea that you can continue to do Christianity on your own is not biblical. And as the text turns in the book of Ephesians, this is important, the first three chapters of Ephesians gave us no imperatives, meaning it gave us nothing that said, you need to do this. You must do this. Outside of, in chapter two, it tells you to remember, but it doesn't tell you to do anything. It sets up, here is how the kingdom of God is. What chapters 4 through 6 are going to do is give us how we are to act. It's going to give us the imperatives in response to those first three chapters. It's going to give us all the things that we are to do. And where it starts is together. You're to do together. There is no reacting to the theology of the Bible, the, the, the biblical literacy that needs to be on the table, without doing it together. And that's what Vince read last week. This is... Verses one through six, let me read it real quick in case you weren't here. It says this, I there, a prisoner for the Lord. Now I want you to listen to this because this is important. Um, I want you to notice uh, the use uh, in this. I, they're they're um, in bold, but you can't really tell. I want you to notice the togetherness, the togetherness in all this. Um, Vince unpacked that we need to walk worthy of the calling, starting with the fact that um, we have behavior and we have belief and there's a disconnect between those two. Now what what I want to bring our minds back to is that this is an all-encompassing you. This is not just you need to as an individual walk worthy of the calling to which you've been called, though true, we're going to get into that in a second, it is together we have been given a calling. So listen to this, listen to the the use in this, It's, it's huge. Therefore I, prisoner of the Lord, A prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, to one hope that belongs to your call. All plural. Everything I'm saying right now is plural. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father uh, um, um, of all, who is over all, through all, and in all. There's seven and ones there, uh, three of which refer to the triune God. The other four are pointing us to the fact that we are one in the triune God. So let me just, here we go, before we go into our text, here, here's, here's the point. We are together in this, and we need each other. God has designed it to be so, and he has called us together as a church to walk worthy of the calling. And at the end of our time, we're going to get what I believe to be that calling, what that calling is, how it should be defined. But we're in this together. Now, what our verse starts with, though, is intriguing. It's the word but. Look at, look at your text. So all that's true, we are one, but. And it's almost like he's going to say, we're one, but we're not really one. Now, I love that he does this. What he's going to do is he's going to lay out, we are one. Yes, we are unified, but we are diverse in our unity. L- look at it. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. I remember about four or five years ago, uh, uh, my wife Candice uh, called me. I was at work, and she had just got done making breakfast with, uh, uh, for the kids and her, and Uh, She said there was um, this stain on the carpet, or what she thought to be the stain on the carpet. She saw it; it was this blob, this stain, and she goes up. She goes, "What is that? The kids must have spilled something." And she goes to like feel it to see what kind of stain it was, and it was just a compact version of ants, right? the worst. I hate ants so much. Okay. Um, And so there's this compact. And as soon as she touched it, of course, she spread out and she's kind of, you know, she's girly. And so she's like, oh my gosh, my co are over the phone. It's okay. Breathe. You're going to make this. She's burning the place down. It was bad. But here's here's what I mean. What looked like this, um, just this one unified thing was actually this one unified thing that made up That was made up of many little different things. This is exactly what John Stott uh, says as he describes uh, this passage in this turn from 6 to 7. Listen to what he says. The contrast between verses 6 and 7 is striking. Verse 6 speaks of God as the Father of us all, who is above all, through all, and in all. Verse 7, however, begins with, but grace was given to each of us. This, Paul, turns from all of us to each of us. And so from the unity to the diversity of the church, although there is one body, one faith, and one family, this unity is not misconstrued as a lifeless or colorless uniformity that Christ has brought us together, but as we are this entity, as we are this body, we are made up of individuals. And so that's what we're going to unpack today. Vince led us down the path of being one. My goal this morning is to walk us through what it means to operate as one in unity, but with diversity. And as he starts, this is the first thing that I want you to know uh, as we go into this. Um, This morning, we're going to talk about gifts. And I'm going to lay out some prefaces as we, uh, we talk through those gifts. But here's what I want you to know. More than anything else, our conversation will start now and will end later with Jesus. Because that's what the text does. Listen to this. But grace was given to each one of us. Now we're getting into individualism. Each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. It was given to each one of us. Christ has a gift, and he gave us that gift, this grace, this salvation. So we are to look at Jesus as the example. If we are to operate together, let's follow Jesus. Jesus has all things. Jesus gives away. There's the first thing we need to see. Furthermore, what we have is given to us by Jesus. Look at verse 8. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts to men. So he's quoting Psalm 68 here, um, and it's this triumphal hymn. What's being quoted here is this idea that... um, Jesus, like a a conqueror, went and conquered. He won in war, and he took the spoils of victory, and now Jesus shares those spoils. matter of fact, in Psalm 68, it actually says that he is given gifts. And the idea, it's this uh, playing, Paul is using this playing on words, that, that he now has gifts because he is the victor, and he gives those gifts away. You together, us together, in unity, each have been given a gift to serve one another. To operate in the ministry in which he has given you. You are wired in a crazy way that you don't fully even understand at times. God has done that. He has given you and I gifts. Now, if you think that verses 9 and 10 are random, um, you're right. Okay. Um, it, I I didn't find any translation that doesn't have verses nine and 10 in parentheses or some type of italicized. Um, it just feels kind of out of the blue. If I could be honest, I, I try to think of many ways I can sexy it up and be like, yeah, this is how it correlates to this. I was like, no, that just doesn't make sense. It just feels super random. Like Paul's trying to make a point in this letter, like talking to something else, to a conversation that was, uh, being had. But I think there's something we can pull from it. Let me read it real quick. So in saying this, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and gave gifts, uh, to men. So he's quoting Psalm 68. Jesus ascends on high, and then he's going to talk about Jesus, right? Um, In saying he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. What I think verses 9 and 10 is telling us is how he became the victor. How he gained the spoils. How he got those gifts to give us those gifts. How is he the victor? And all it's saying is, in quoting Psalm 68, we're talking about the one who ascended. At the end of Jesus' life, he ascended. Now, if he ascended, we have to recognize he at one point came down. He descended to the earth. So Jesus, who descended, is also the one who ascended. And when he ascended, he ascended above all things. He is over all things. Going back to Ephesians 1. He is the ruler of all things. And so that is how we, we can see the accomplishment and how that he did this. Um, but again, it's in parentheses as uh, Paul's just kind of saying it as a side point. And then verse 11, uh, we get into, um, 11 and 12, we get into probably the most famous verses uh, in, in chapter 4. And he gave, so now talking about how we can serve one another, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So here's, here's where I want to start with this. Jesus is the giver of gifts. We follow his example in that he gave the ultimate gift in grace. It's where all these gifts come from. He has given us, each one of you, myself, a gift, many gifts. Not all gifts are the same Everybody has at least one gift. There's no one gift that everybody has. And so here we have these um, laying out of these gifts, and then he's going to name five of these gifts. Now, um, let me say this. If you're new to church uh, and you haven't heard this passage before, a part of me uh, is a little bit grateful because there is a ton of exegetical baggage that comes along with what I'm about to read. What I mean by that is people have been fighting about how spiritual gifts play out in the church for a long time. They've done so a lot, okay? And so I'm going to read this, but there's a couple things that I want to read before that as a preface before we read what apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers are, okay? Okay. Um, the, the first thing, I, I made a list for myself so I wouldn't get off track. The first thing is this, um, I don't think verse 11 is the point of our passage today. I think it's in there and I'm going to explain what these are, but there's something bigger going on. He, he's talking about how we can be built up together, though we are unity he be, uh, uh, and, and diverse at the same time, we can be built up together in that. So th- that's the first thing. I don't think that's what this text is about. The second thing is, um, my upbringing um, has like brought me on Two totally opposite spectrums when it comes to the conversation of gifts. Meaning, I got saved in what is called the charismatic movement and the assemblies of God. And so, like, I was a tongue-speaking, slain in the Holy Spirit, get it in, like prophetic word on Sundays. I was there, y'all, experienced it, waved a flag and everything, okay? And then being in the reform community for years, almost to talk about, like, the spiritual gifts were like, we don't do that, Okay? Right? And so I, I, I've been able to see this, and, and I want you to know, and I, 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 um, I know for sure knowing the theological beliefs of all the elders, we do believe that the spiritual gifts are alive and well. I want you to know that from the jump. And maybe you disagree, and that's okay, but we're, I, I want to unpack what that means, okay? Meaning, we believe what we're going to be talking about here, also in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, and Ephesians 4, and then 1 Peter 4, talking about these gifts, there's something to be said about what do we do with so much conversation on on the topic of gifts, okay? The next thing that I want you to know is um, when the Bible talks about gifts, it talks about it in two forms. This is really important, okay? It talks about it as a noun of position and a noun of like a gift, a, a giving away, meaning um, it's been used as, the language that's been used is there is offices, and then there is gifts that are given, or maybe a better way to say it, there's a role of someone who has that gift, that's their role in the church, they have that position, that office, like there's the President of the United States, that's his office, and then there's gifts that are given. So uh, by way of example, if you go through and read First Corinthians 12, where by far it's talked about the most, you'll see there's a gift of mercy. Now that is a gift. There's nowhere in the Bible that it says, and you need to have the merciers, the, the office of mercy. But there are times in the Bible, like, like here, where it's mentioned as positions or offices or roles. So there is the apostles. And sometimes it's actually mentioned as both. In, in 1 Corinthians 12, 10, what we find is that uh, there is the gift of prophecy, and yet in our text here, we see that there is Prophets. So I need you to understand the conversation is not as easy as you want it to be. But furthermore, I think we can begin to flesh out how Jesus is putting in front of us and think through, using the rest of the Bible, why God has given these five specific things, which is called the fivefold ministry, to the church to serve the church in that way. So I hope that helps. Uh, The the last thing is... um, uh, let's just go on. I'm running out of time. Let's, let's just go out. I'm sure you guys want to know what apostles, prophets, evangelists, all that stuff are. Um, so here we go. So he gave. Jesus gave to the church so that we can work together. He gave first, you ready for this, apostles. Um, so the word apostle simply just means delegate, honestly. It means, sometimes you've probably heard it means sent one. Um, as an office or a role, predominantly it's used in the New Testament, describing the people who spent time and saw Jesus with their own eyes, and Jesus commanded them, whether it be Matthew 28, John 14, Acts 1, he commanded them to tell people of what they heard and saw. And so there's a sending out, there's a, a certain section of people, apostles, these people who were sent out by God, who gave revelation on behalf of God. Then there are people who, um, we can think of this word as just sent out, delivered. Like we, we see this um, at the end of Romans. We see this, that he sends out, the, 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 Jesus sends out the disciples. Um, we see in John 1 that John the Baptist was sent out before Jesus Christ so, there's this language that's used um, almost like the, the common um, example would be used as somebody who has the gift of apostleship, not just the, the role of apostleship or the office of apostleship, would be like a missionary. Somebody who's sent to do a new work on behalf of God or like a church planner. They have the gift of apostleship. And I believe that's alive and well. The second one, we're going to talk about this. Don't worry, some of you guys are scheming because I do believe that there can be more revelation um, given to us. I'm kidding, I'm kidding. The canon is closed, breathe. I have a Mormon joke somewhere in there, but um, okay. Okay, the second gift, both mentioned as office and um, a a role, is profit. So, in the Old Testament, this is clear, right? I think if anybody's picked up their Bible and read enough of it, you know that the, the, the word prophet appears a ton. Matter of fact, majority of the Old Testament is written from the perspective of the prophet. Just by way of example, listen, Moses was considered a prophet. Listen to Deuteronomy 18, I will raise up for my people a prophet like you. You will be my mouthpiece. Jeremiah was considered a prophet. Jeremiah 1.9, the Lord told Jeremiah, I have put my words in your mouth. This is true of Ezekiel. In Exodus, Miriam was called a prophet. In uh, uh, Exodus 15, Deborah was considered a prophet. In Judges Four, four. A woman named Huldah in 2 Kings uh, was called a prophet. There, there's uh, groups of prophets in 2 Kings, this band of prophets that was brought together. This is Hosea, Joel, Amos, all considered prophets. And what a prophet did was, not just, let's not get like the psychic whole thing confused with what a prophet was. A prophet simply spoke to the people on behalf of God. That's all that happened. Where a priest, the position of a priest, would go to God on behalf of the people, a prophet would go to the people on behalf of God. And he would go to the people, and sometimes, yes, he would predict the future. This is what's going to happen. This is Jonah declaring over Nineveh. But, but more than that, um, more often than not, he's just going to the people of Israel going, they're going to the people of Israel going, stop acting like dummies. Stop. This is foolish. Or he would go to the people and go, this is what God says. You're killing it right now. You're, you're doing awesome right now. He was just the, the mouthpiece of God. Now, you may be surprised to know this. But the New Testament is full of prophecy. As a matter of fact, the word prophecy and prophet appears 144 times in the New Testament. So it's all over, right? Uh, matter of fact, let me read something to you. I I think I have this text. Yeah. In Acts 21 um, is an interesting, when we went through Acts, we saw this. The word prophet or prophecy actually appears in the same section of verses in both as a gift and a role. Listen to this. In Acts 21, 8 through 10, leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and we went to stay in the home of Philip, the evangelist, which we're going to get to evangelism in a second, but notice he is the evangelist who was uh, one of the seven, the deacons, he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. Uh, after uh, we had been there for several days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. So this guy, Philip, has daughters who prophesied, and then there's this man named Agabus who is called a prophet. And so what do we do uh, with, with prophecy? Um, here, here's, here's what I, um, I've, I've seen, and I think I want to begin to untangle a little bit. By, very, by the sheer definition of the word of prophecy, simply means to stand before and speak. Now, um, I quoted MacArthur uh, before, but I disagree with MacArthur's stance on this, and I know that some of you have the same stance, and that's cool. We're in unity, but diverse. All right, let's do this together. I don't think that this has been said preaching is the predominant way that prophecy is laid out today. I, uh, um, I think as we read 1 Corinthians 14, I think it's too obvious that each one uh, were, we're to, to crave and long for this prophecy, uh, how you would translate that word. But furthermore, each one is given uh, the ability, taking their turns to prophesy, and then those prophecies and prophets are subject to other prophets. Um, I, I, think it's, I, think that's, um, I think that's too easy. I think that's a, a flattening of the text, in my opinion. But what I will say about prophecy in its simplest form is um, The revelation that's given to us by God that we would hope for and long for, yes and amen, can be done in the pulpit and preaching. I think that would be my hope that God would use me or whoever's up here teaching to unpack the revelation that God has spoken because he has spoken. But I wholeheartedly believe that there are moments where God is telling you something and I mean, I, I'm, and you may not like this. This is the, maybe the charismatic Sean coming out. You just got to deal with it sometimes. But there have been moments where I've seen somebody go, "Hey, listen, you, you need to get out of that house. There's something bad going on." And then the I mean, just outright. This is real experience. This isn't me making it up. And then the man ended up killing the kids and himself. And and this guy who told you need to get out of the house. I don't know why God's telling me this, but you need to get out of the house. Take your kids. She didn't take the kids. The man killed himself and the kids. And, and, and I believe wholeheartedly God in that moment revealed whatever it was. And you can say, well, that's just crazy. That's a coincidence. Okay, well, somebody tells you to get out the house because somebody's about to be shot. Just get out the house, okay? Can we just all agree on that? So here, here's what I want to say, though. Um, the first two, apostle and prophet, are unique in this list. Um, as a role, I do not think they exist anymore. Now, here's why I, I don't think they exist anymore. Just simply outside of the rest of the New Testament, the book of Ephesians that we've read up to this point. Let me show you two verses um, in Ephesians 2 and uh, Ephesians 3. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the you ready for this? The foundation of the apostles and prophets. So 90% of the time when it refers to a prophet in the New Testament, it's referring back to the Old Testament. FYI, probably 95% of the time. And in Ephesian, uh, Ephesians uh, chapter three verses four and five, when you read this, you will perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which has not been made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to the holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So let me be clear what I think uh, is saying. I think there's a gift of prophecy. Not that you will know the future. Ain't nobody going out here predicting when the world's going to end. That's not going to happen. But what I am saying is God can speak to you as it lines up with the word of God and go, man, this is what I feel like God is telling me to tell you. I don't know what to do with it. And, and that prophecy can be subject to, to other prophets who are going, man, this is, this is what I see. We would call these elders as a whole nother longer conversation. But I don't think the role of prophet, meaning I do not think that there is somebody who can walk in this room right now and go, I am the prophet of God. And this is what the word of the Lord has come, this is how the word of the Lord has come to me and this is what I say to you. I don't believe that's necessary because we have this beautiful, beautiful book. We don't need someone to come and tell us this is what God says because this is what God says. Right? Now, there may be contextualizations of what God says and how to play it out. There may be a word spoken real quick, but we do not need the office of prophet anymore because that has been fulfilled. And I think that's also true of the, the, the word apostle. I think there are people who can be sent out, delegates, missionaries, church planners, but the office of apostle ended with those who saw the face and heard the voice of Jesus Christ. They wrote us the scriptures according to Matthew 28 as Jesus commanded them, and in Acts 1, and they gave us the word of God. Then those apostles are done. And I made the joke sight of hand about the Mormons, but and, and I don't mean to like just make light of it, but the reality is that is a huge difference with us and Mormons, that they would have an open canon and we would disagree wholeheartedly that we believe there are still sent ones. We believe that there is still people who can prophesy in the name of Jesus Christ. But how that plays out is not even close to the same. Now, you might have questions about um, our views in that and how all that plays out. I would love to walk you through. Again, my background um, in this has forced me to study in spades on it. And so I love talking about it. Um, Anyway, that that is what it is. The third thing that he mentions um, uh, in all this is evangelists. So this um, is interesting because we just read in Acts 21 that there was someone named an evangelist. Philip the Evangelist is how it was uh, put in front of us. Uh, And and I think in some ways how we need to understand this is there are still people who travel around speaking the word of the Lord. Now, this is where gifts become super weird. And I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But it would be foolish uh, for us to say there is an office only for the evangelists, and nobody else is called to evangelize. That's just not true. All of us are still called to evangelize. And the excuse to go, well, and I've heard this actually a lot, specifically when I first got saved, I don't have the gift of evangelism. I don't really talk to people about Jesus. Whoa, okay, no, that's not how this whole thing works. But there is something to be said about someone who has that gift, and I mean an unearthly spiritual gift to evangelize. I remember when I was doing my pastoral residency with uh, seven other guys uh, in redemption, and we were at a conference exponential in L.A., um, and we were there for the first day, came back that night, and there's this guy named John. We were at the hotel lobby checking in. And uh, you could tell he just had the gift of evangelism. i knew him, known him before and talked with him, and I knew the way that he interacted with people. I just watched sometimes. I was like, dang. And we're sitting in the lobby, uh, and this guy comes out, and he asks the eight of us that are there, um, uh, the one who's running the residency and us, seven residents, we're sitting there, and he goes, hey, man, you guys selling any weed, right? Which is hilarious. Um, but John, without a beat, he's probably from here to where that, that uh, podium is over there. Without a beat, this is what John does. He hears, Hey, you guys gonna sell any weed? He goes, No, but I can give you something for free that is much better than any high you're looking for, right? Okay? And I'm, I'm standing there, I'm standing there, I'm going, Oh, oh gosh, what do I do? Okay? Okay? So I go to my room, I come back and the dude is still in the lobby like an hour later talking to this dude about Jesus. Matt Chandler tells a story of one of his friends at Subway. They're at Subway sitting there uh, and he goes, I want a foot long tuna. And as the guy is scooping on the tuna, he goes, hey, how many people you think that uh, tuna can feed? He goes, I don't know, I guess like maybe one or two. I know somebody who can feed 5,000 with that. Okay? Like, like, like the, the idea that some people just have that gift, that knack, and you see it. Right, and you and I are left sometimes going, man. I want to evangelize. God has called me to evangelize, but this dude is wired and gifted in such a way that he's an evangelist. He he has the ability to evangelize in a very spiritual way. The next uh, uh, thing on the list. Shepherds and teachers, and I want you to know the shepherds and teachers, it's called the fivefold ministry, but it could be argued that is the fourfold ministry only because in Greek, the definite article is missing. It's not added to both of these. So you can almost read it shepherds, teachers as one. Um, And that's important, I I think, because what we see in the body is we see that in a commonality most often today. We, we, you, you can look at my role or office would be a, a role of a pastor, which is where we get our word uh, shepherd from, or as a teacher. Uh, and I think that's a little easier for us to get our mind around than prophecy or apostleship or whatever it is. But quite simply, somebody who is a pastor or a shepherd is somebody who comes along the flock, walks along the flock, very close to a priestly role, someone who teaches, is exhorts as the word of God. We see this playing out uh, again in spades in 1 Corinthians 14. Now, um, I think it's clear that... We all, to some capacity, have been called to teach the Word of God, Um, but it seems that that, that God has given the body in areas of leadership um, the, the role and the gifting of teaching and pastoring, and it would be impossible to pastor someone without teaching them, but there are teachers, for sure, who aren't pastors. And how that begins to play out can be a little bit muddied, but there is the gift, even in 1 Corinthians 12, not just the officer role of teaching, but the gift of teaching. And so um, here's kind of, he gives, ultimately he gives these five gifts, apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers. He gives these five gifts to the church to do ultimately two things, really important things. And you can argue that it's, it's one thing. He gives us each other, the leadership, and that's really what it seems to be a conversation about here, the leadership. He gave us the apostles to know Jesus, to give us the words of God. He gave us the Old Testament prophets to lay out and point towards Jesus Christ as all these arrows are pointing to Jesus Christ. He gives us pastors and shepherds and evangelists to point us to Jesus Christ so that, listen to this language, this is important. Um, where am I at in my... Um, text uh yep it was on this page sorry um so he decided to to give all these gifts uh to the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of christ this word equipped is huge because um it means like perfecting so if you got a new job the way to think about this is like training you got a new job you want to do your job well you need to go through training you need to learn that craft and so that means there is an in this is huge there is an incompleteness in you so somebody comes alongside and that's honestly how you would translate the word a completeness or a perfecting of who you are so because there is an incompleteness in the body of Christ we need to be equipped or completed by one another Do you hear that? The diversity is necessary. And this goes back to because you have a calling to walk out. And you think you can do this on an island, but you can't. You think you can walk this out, but you're incomplete. God has given the church these gifts, which I would not even say in all four mentions of the gifts is exhaustive. He has given us each other gifts to operate in so that we would be complete. Now, here's the last thing I want to say about gifts before I read the the next um, section of verses, because this is where we transition a little bit. Um, I think we need to stop taking our cues um, about understanding gifts, because I would challenge you to go read 1 Corinthians 12, or 1 Peter 4, Romans 12, uh, where all the gifts are mentioned. I think we need to stop taking our cues from like the X-Men and understanding gifts. Like, like, too often, it's like, hey, what gift do you have? Well, I have the gift of swords coming out of my hand. Well, that's cool. Like, we, we think of like this, what gift do you have? What gift do you have? Let's take an assessment to find out what gift you have. And, and it's funny that, that the hard-nosed guy, John MacArthur, who uh, uh, was super rough in that first quote, actually, it's crazy because when he talks about spiritual gifts, this is the only time you're going to hear John MacArthur talk like this. He calls each Christi- Christian a spiritual snowflake. John MacArthur said that, okay? A spiritual snowflake, meaning we're all so, it's far more meshed together. Like you can have the gift of hospitality and you can have the gift of teaching and, and, and you're put together and you think it's like, okay, he's given me these four gifts. This is how I have to operate. But there's moments, right, where God gives you this gift, this ability to do this thing that you're going, wow, that was amazing. It's far more integrated than it is sliced and diced up. And so just know that as you study gifts, that's important. And that's important for all of us to know that operating in certain moments, we need each other. We need each other. God has wired each one of us as a spiritual snowflake, given us us gifts to build up one another so that we can do the work that God has called us to do. Let me finish with the last two verses. Um, And these are so money, and this is where we're, we're, we're obviously wrapping down. That is, he equips the saints to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ. That is, hear this, ready? Until we, notice he's going back to unity again. He's going back to the plural. We're talking about individuals. Now we attain the unity of the faith, the full knowledge of the Son of God. Meaning, uh, he gave us these, each other. He gave us these leadership positions until, that is until one day we are unified in the faith. And we have full knowledge of the Son of God. Now, without question, it could be argued that when we die, that will be true. But I think Paul is painting a a picture here. I think he's doing something because what he's describing is what he's going to get out in the next verse. And it's the word maturity. Like someone who is mature is someone who knows, grows into their body. Someone who grows up too fast and is tall too quickly, they don't know. They're, they're gang, like gangly and they don't know how to operate their body. But maturity physically is growing up knowing. This is my, I can know it, right? As a baby, they don't know what to do with their extremities. And so here they are, they're going around. But you, as you mature, as you grow, you are as a body knowing, no, like you're unified, you know how to work it. But furthermore, it's the acquiring of knowledge as well. This is the, a clear example of defining what maturity is. That is, until one day we reach maturity. And that's exactly what he says in the next verse. He says, until we attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Um, It's important that we hear this again. He went back to the plural and the we. That together we attain the unity of the faith, the full knowledge of the Son of God, so that we would be a mature man now, that doesn't mean women, you're trying to be men, right? It's talking plurality, because it's not just any man, it's the Christ man, that we would grow up and be who he is, that we would mature in our faith. And let me say this, this is really important. I think that's what almost all of Ephesians, but for sure, Ephesians chapter four is about. It is about you growing. It is about you being mature. And, and hear me, listen. It was cute for a while, you not knowing, but you're 15 years into this faith thing, and we ain't playing games anymore. Your soul is withering away, and you still fondle the things of the world, and you don't want to grow up. The foundation has been built by the apostles and prophets. We need each other, but you still mess around in being immature. And he has called us together and you as an individual to walk worthy of the calling. This calling is to grow up into Christ. But we're messing around. This ain't a game. You continue to act. Listen, here's what I know. Um, If we're not careful in recognizing this, this is how we get thrown off course. Uh, You know who's easy to trick? You know who's easy to sway? Kids. Kids are easy to sway. I can convince by all false proof to my five-year-old daughter that the moon is made of cheese, I can convince her of it. I can make up false documents, fake news. I'll coin that phrase right now. It's never been used before. <laughs> I, I can come up with all the things that I need to prove to her that the moon is made of cheese. You want to know why? Because kids are easy to trick. But, but you don't even need my, he gives the example. You know what it's like? It's me going waist high in the ocean and my kids coming out to me And for some of them, the water's up to the neck. And you know what's easy? It's easy for me because I'm a grown man and I'm mature to stand there waist high. And the waves won't move me. But Eve tries to come out there. Her feet are barely touching the ground. She's going to be tossed to and fro by every wind that comes. She's not mature. We ain't playing games. And we've played too long, messing around too long. And this text is calling us to maturity, to grow up, man. Grow up. And as we're called to maturity, it's important because what gets us off sway is when we're not mature, we're tossed to and fro by false doctrines. Listen, listen to this. So that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness, by deceitful schemes. You know, it'd be easy for me to get up here. Let me give you an example of this. It would be easy for me to get up here and say, you can be tricked by Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses, but here's the reality uh, about that. I don't think that's what we're being tossed to and fro by. I think the guys come up to you on the bike, you know you're not supposed to talk to the guys on the bike. We, we get that. You know, or, or somebody comes knocking on the door, the Jehovah's Witness says, you don't know fully why you don't agree with them, but you just know you're not supposed to follow them. Okay? I think we get that. But here, let, let me tell you, there are other philosophies that are not classified as religions that are carrying the immature back and forth and we're not set. We're not steadfast, we're not planted, we're not in a foundation, so we're carried by these things. And they're called consumerism, they're called individualism, they're called materialism, they're called politics, and we're carried about, right? And so you, you run into this rub of trying to grow, and you're, you're caught in this tension to know that Jesus has called you to be part of the body of believers as regularly, dare I say, day to day, but your kids are in sports, you got, you got work at night. You're chasing the American dream, and there's nothing wrong with work or your kids going into sports, but they're not the priority. But you've believed the philosophy, you've bought into a narrative, you, you, you have this doctrine that is put in front of you, and you're carried away. It's calling you to give everything away. Dare I say everything away, but your house poor. Now, you got, the good, you got the nice car, though, and here you are in the tension because you've bought into a man-made philosophy and you've been tossed to and fro. Some of you are in the room because of your political bent and ideology that you cannot fully understand that Jesus would call you to treat the undocumented immigrants as the image of God. But your political ideology, you've been swayed. You've been swayed. Some of you can't see because your political ideology that murdering a child, whether in the womb or out of the womb, is not okay. But you've been swayed. And so here we are. Paul is calling us to mature manhood, the man of Jesus Christ, to grow up, to stop playing games. Now there's hope in this. I said I was going to finish, but this really is where I'm going to finish. There's hope in this. Cause I don't want you to walk out here and go, I suck. Okay. Because you have continued to fail. Let me remind you where it started. It restart, it started with the gift of Christ. And you know where the hope is in this text? Check it out. It's the transition from 12 to 13. He gives the he gives the saints to do the work of the ministry. You ready? Listen to verse 13 until we attain what Paul does in that moment is he puts an assumption in front of us check it out, check it out, this will be true of you. You will mature. He will mature you. He will grow you. Philippians 1 tells us that he began that work in you, and you better bet he's going to finish it. The assumption that is he gave us each other until one day you will arrive. You may not feel like you're going to arrive. You may not feel like you're going to get there, but he'll get you there. He'll get you there. He'll get you through the season. He'll get you through the playoffs of the championship and he will win the finals. He is the true and better LeBron. Sorry, I had to throw that in there. Let me pray. Father, thanks so much for who you are. Thanks for a text like uh, Ephesians 4, verses seven through 14 to remind us that you've called us to mature manhood, the man of Jesus Christ, that we're to walk worthy of this calling that you've called us Uh, to, and uh, as we do this, there's a recognition that you've given your body of believers, us here now and worldwide, you've given us as a body gifts to serve one another. You've, you've given us all gifts as you ascended on high as the great conqueror and that we need each other. And you've given us these gifts so that we would mature, that we would uh, attain, so that we would continue to press in and be equipped Now, I pray that we would stop playing games, that if that's what you've called us to by giving us gifts, that we would press into that reality, that we would continue to know that there is man-made philosophies and ideologies trying to sway us, to pull us from what you have called us to do. We pray we'd be faithful because of your good grace. Thank you that the promise we have is one day we will attain the unity of the faith, the full knowledge of the Son of God. That will be true, and it's not because of us, but it is because of you. In Jesus' name.